Well, hi everyone. Thanks for uh, tuning in tonight, uh, and uh, I'm really blessed to be here tonight, share my story. So I'm gonna get right into it because uh, uh, I don't want to take up too much time in the intro. But uh, uh, I was born in Scotland, and uh, real first memories of growing up were uh, when we immigrated from Scotland. I've got Scottish parents to Australia. It was during the time when uh, the UK was uh, going through a real depression, a lot of unemployment, and so. Australia was the lucky country and uh, my mum and dad uh, decided to immigrate uh, over to Australia. I remember getting on a ship, I was about five years old uh, and we landed in Australia and that's the first sort of memories I have of my mum and dad being together and and to be honest, not very happy memories, Uh, a lot of domestic violence, a lot of alcohol. My dad was a a very heavy drinker, a real tough tough, uh, Scots guy, a real gambling problem. And so uh, I think they initially tried to escape kind of the problems that maybe they had in their lives to go to Australia. But uh, the truth is, like we know, wherever you go, you take your problems with you. You can't escape who you are. And, and so, uh, yeah, growing up, I just saw my dad really beating on my mother a lot, a lot of alcohol in the house. Uh, saw my, witnessed my dad one time. Uh, leaping across the, the kitchen table. I must have been about five years old with a fork in his hand and repeatedly stabbing my mother while she was screaming. I've seen my, my dad dragging my mother through the room by the hair while all of the kids were, you know, screaming and hiding in the room. And, uh, you know, he would, you know, you'd go out and, and we didn't know how he was going to come home. Sometimes he'd come home a happy drunk. Uh, sometimes he'd come home really, you know, angry. And so we are always walking on eggshells, didn't know. Uh, what, what we were going to get when he got home. And, but uh, all our lives, my life began to really change when, when uh, one day this guy turns up at the door and I don't know all the ins and outs of how my mum met this guy, but uh, this guy turns up and he's got a car outside and, and my mum says uh, to us, you know, we're running away. And, uh, and so we, all of those kids, it was me and my uh, a brother and three sisters at the time, and I remember us all running out the door and, and jumping in, in this car and throwing the suitcases in real quick. And I just remember just being terrified that my dad was going to drive up and catch us while we were trying to run away. And so off we went. And, and you know, for the next few weeks, uh, life was so different. We moved in with this guy and, and uh, he had a nice house and life just seemed so different. And then one night, all hell broke loose at the front door and my, my dad turned up and there was a big commotion out there and screaming and arguing. And the next thing I, I knew was my mum was packing my bags and, and dragging me to the front door and pushing me out the front door. And, and I found out later on that she didn't really want to, to, to hand me over to my dad, but he was threatening to, to kill everyone and she didn't know what he was going to do. And, and so she gave me to my father and, and we got in a car and drove off. And, and the next week I was back in Scotland uh, with my dad, and I was probably about eight years old uh, by this stage. And, and when I got back to Scotland, uh, my life was all over the place. My, my dad was, a, you know, like I say, a drinker, and he had girlfriends all over the place. And he dropped me off at my grandmother's place, and then he picked me up again, and we'd, we'd move in with some lady that he'd, that he'd met, and we'd live there for a little while, and then I'd be dropped off back at my, my grandmother's place again for a little while, and and he was kind of, you know, in and out of jail and getting all kinds of trouble. And, and uh, as time went on, it just, my life just was so disjointed. I went to schools all over the place. I don't think I've ever 
really been in any, any school for maybe more than three to four months at a time. We were just, I was all over, over the place. And the schools uh, in, in the UK back then were really rough. Scottish schools, it was the skinhead days and, and everyone had shaved heads and Doc Martin boots and, and life back then was all about fighting and the areas of where I was growing up in were like the project areas, they called them schemes, big sort of government areas and uh, lots of gangs on the streets and it was all about fighting and who was the toughest and, and it was either you fight over your football club or you, you know, if you're Catholic and Protestant you'd fight over that or families would fight, streets would fight each other, it was all about being tough and fighting and so I was always the new kid at school changing all the time to new schools and and uh, you know every time you, you, you're the new kid you got to prove yourself all over again and so I was always in in fights and in trouble and I remember one time I, I was uh, you know coming home from school and I was the new kid and a couple of kids sort of jumped me and gave me a bit of a hiding and I remember running home and running the door and had some tears coming down my eyes and my, my dad who was a really tough sort of Scottish guy, and, and uh, he saw the tears in my eyes, and he said, what's wrong with you? And so, you know, I sort of told him the story how these kids had jumped me on the way home, and, you know, no sympathy, he just grabbed me by the collar. I remember him dragging me, and we were up one set of stairs in this block of flats, and he dragged me down, he threw me out, on the, on the, out the front door, and he said, you better go down that park and sort those, those kids out, because if you don't, when you come home, I'm going to sort you out. And so I just remember going down the park and, and I was so afraid of my dad, more afraid of him than I was of these guys. And I remember just walking up to this, this gang of guys and they were kind of like, you know, a bit amused that I would actually come back. And I remember just going up to the biggest kid, the one who'd kind of uh, give me a bit of a hard time. I remember I just king hit him. And, uh, and then before you know it, we were rolling around on the, on the ground. I managed to get this uh, kid in a headlock. He's a bit bigger than me. And I just held him in this headlock and he was punching me and, and scratching me, trying to get loose. But I knew if he got loose, he'd probably kill me. So I just kept him uh, in the headlock and, and, and for about 20 minutes had him on the ground in the headlock until finally he started begging me to let him go. And so I, you know, I, I said, well, if you'll be my friend, you know, like, like boys do, I'll, I'll let you go. And so I let him go and he you know, shook my hand and we became mates. And that was the kind of way that I grew up. I remember, actually, my, my wife tells me sometimes, why don't you share some of your, your gypsy uh, background? And I don't know if you know much about the gypsies. They're called travellers in the UK. They're a bit of a subculture. My dad uh, grew up as a gypsy. And, and so we lived in a, in a few caravan parks at different times. I remember I was living in a caravan park and the same thing happened. This big gypsy kid kind of picked on me and I remember coming home one day and again the tears were in, in my eye and walked in the door and my, my dad said to me, well, you know, what, what's going on? And I kind of told him the story and then he grabbed me again and marched me through the caravan park and we went up to the caravan where this boy was living and we, my dad bangs on the door and this kid's dad comes out and they're arguing and before you know it, uh, me and this kid are get, getting pushed into the middle by this kid's dad and my dad and, and we're having a fight and then out of the corner of my eye I saw my dad starting to fight with this guy and this big fight's going on and but that, that's kind of the way that uh, uh, we, we grew up and, and as time went on my, my dad just you know became more and more absent in my life became more and more in and out of prison spent more time at my grandmother's place and from girlfriend to girlfriend and then one day uh, my dad must have got I don't know all the details but uh, my dad was involved in all kinds of deals and drugs and stuff like that and got himself in a bit deeper than probably he wanted to and uh, had sort of connections with, with kind of underworld sort of people uh, and um, we'll, I was living with uh, his girlfriend at the time, we're, we're living at this girlfriend's house. One night he's coming home 
and some guys followed him. Uh, must have been a deal that went wrong. And they followed him to the apartment block where we were staying and, and uh, they jumped him. And right outside the, the, the block of flats, I was about 20 feet from where these guys jumped my dad. They jumped on him, stabbed him 27 times, got a hammer and smashed the back of his head in and they murdered him right there outside the block of flats. And I remember that night being in the flats and all of a sudden the police are in the apartment block and coming in and, and, uh, and all the commotion going on and there's a big crime scene going outside the door. I didn't really know what was going on at the time, but then my dad's brother, my Uncle Benny, uh, turned up, who was a bit of an underworld figure, a bit of a godfather type guy, and, and uh, he came in and, and, and grabbed me and put his blanket over my head for some reason and took me out the front door. And I remember coming out the front door out of the block of flats and there was this kind of narrow sort of pathway out of the block of flats. So, that, and, and, and there was all this blood everywhere outside the block of flats and this, this body lying on the ground with a blanket over it. And I didn't know it was my dad at the time. And so I was saying, Uncle Benny, you know, what's going on? What's going on? He said, no, no, it's not, not your dad. It's not your dad. And he took me to his house and went to bed that night. And the next morning I woke up and my Uncle Benny was sitting on the end of the bed and he, and he looked at me and as I woke up, he said, Neil, I need to tell you the truth. Your dad got killed last night. He got murdered. And then he said, well, we're going to get him. We're going to kill these guys. We're going to get revenge. And then, you know, next thing you know, that, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, the body got released and they brought the body back to the block of flats and had an open coffin in my Uncle Benny's house. And I remember I was in one bedroom sleeping there. My dad was in the next room in the coffin. And every day my Uncle Benny would take me into the room. We'd sit there next to my dad's uh, coffin and we'd look in the coffin and it didn't even look like him. They'd put all this makeup on him and Obviously, he was pretty banged up and stabbed up, and they put all this makeup to try and make him look good. And I remember sitting there thinking, is that really my dad? Is that really my dad? And the day the funeral finally came, and that was when it really struck me that he was really gone, he was really dead, and we went to the graveyard, and I remember we are standing around there, and the funeral was going on, and they started lowering the coffin into the ground, and I'd seen them put the lid on the box while we are at, uh, at, the, at the house before we left but it struck me, my dad's in that box and he's dead. And, and I, I, I must tell you that when they threw the dirt on the box, I remember that I can still hear it today when the dirt hit the top of the coffin. It just freaked me out that my dad was in there and I just felt like he was getting suffocated in this hole. And I remember I just started screaming and lost, just totally lost it. My Uncle Benny, he picked me up and threw me over his shoulder and we ran out of the graveyard. And uh, the next thing I know, I hear my mum wants to have me back to Australia. I hadn't seen my mum for about four years and, and I didn't want to go. I wanted to stay with my Uncle Benny. I wanted to stay with my cousins and my family in Scotland and I hadn't sort of even thought about my mum too much apart from all the bad stuff that my dad had said about her and so it became a bit of a forced issue and they kind of forced me onto this aeroplane against my will. I didn't want to go back to Australia to, to stay with my mum and when I got there, my head was shaved, had my Doc Martin boots on. I was just a 12-year-old kid, just really rebellious, really angry because I didn't want to go to live with my mum. And, and uh, she'd been living with this guy that uh, she'd run away with. They didn't get married, but they'd kind of got a bit of a life together. And it was quite a decent sort of life until I turned up. And I didn't want to be there. They put me in the school. I didn't want to be in the school. So I just started rebelling and just causing all kinds of problems at the house, started running away 
And uh, this man that uh, my uh, mum was living with, he, he tried to be my friend, but I wouldn't accept uh, anything from him. I wouldn't accept any kind of uh, friendship from him. And it just got really heated in the house. And then uh, a few months after I got there, he died. And my mum ended up, uh, you know, uh, uh, with, a, you know with six, seven kids at that stage, uh, no money. And so my mum already had a bit of a problem with alcohol. And so she really just turned the alcohol. And before you know it, she's a full-blown alcoholic. She's lying on the floor every day. We get home from school. The house is a mess. No food in the cupboards. No money. And so I just started just running away. I just wanted to do anything to stay away from this house. I was 14 by this stage. And I was in school. And by about the end of the first year of high school, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't allowed to participate in any classrooms. I was just so rebellious and just uh, caused all kinds of problems at school. And so I ended up at a desk all by myself uh, outside the principal's office. And I just sat there all day, every day, just lipping teachers off uh, as they went by. And at the end of the first year of high school, the counselor said, you, you, you should just leave school and, and try and get a job. And so uh, just before, at the beginning of the second year of high school, uh, I was uh, still 14. Uh, that's what I did. I left school. I got a job for about two weeks uh, and I got the sack uh, and I was on the doll at 14 years old. And you could go on the doll back then uh, at 14 years of age. But, but uh, I just started hanging out down the shopping centers, hanging out with older kids uh, and started getting more and more in trouble, running away. And then I started taking drugs. And I remember the first time uh, you know, I tried drugs, it was like this real escape. And before long, I was just like, a, I was just addicted to uh, marijuana. And uh, you know, as a young guy, well, I started breaking into houses to get money to just get a bag of dope, uh, stealing car stereos, stealing rims. Uh, then it started you know, getting into sort of bigger problems. And by the time I was uh, 15, I was in and out of juvenile I'd be a month in and then in for a couple of months and back out again for a month and then running away again getting in more trouble getting locked up again and uh, by the time I was 16 my life was totally out of control and uh, I just ended up uh, you know in three doing three months uh, in a juvenile jail and the very day that I got out I'd, I'd broke into a shopping center and got busted for it uh, and the very day I got out to uh, you know, uh, I was coming out of the gates and my mum was standing there and she's begging me to, just to come home. And my mate was actually sitting in the car just on the curb there and I just walked straight past. My mum jumped into the car with the, my mate, went to this girl's flat to, and we started dropping all these pills and I got really out of it. And that night we went out to this bar and for, for whatever mad reason, you know, this, this mate of mine, he was 21, I was uh, 16 and he said, well, let's rob the place. And we ended up Ended up planning to rob this bar. And so we, we were there till, till closing time. And the, the barman was sort of closing up and restocking the bar. We were still there. And he went into this big, you know, walk-in refrigerator. And we were really out of it. And my mate just jumped over the bar. And so I just jumped over after him. We went around the back of the bar into the kitchen area. And my mate picks up this big aluminium meat mallet that they use for, for pounding and tenderizing meat. And for whatever crazy reason, I just picked up this knife and we came back out and we stood outside the door of this big walk-in refrigerator. And as the guy came out with his crate of drinks, my mate uh, hit the guy on the back of the head with this uh, meat mallet, knocked him to the ground. And I jumped on his back and I didn't want him to turn around and see our face. I just got out of jail that day. I didn't want to go back in. 
So I jumped on his back and put the knife to his throat. And I'm just saying to him, listen, mate, don't, don't turn around. Don't look around. And my mate was going through the tills and just grabbing some, some spirits and putting them on the bar and some cigarettes and stuff like that. To, and this guy starts to fight me and he starts to want to try and get up. And so I'm screaming at him just to stay down and not to try and fight. And I had this knife in my hand. I pushed it up against his throat. And I didn't realize how sharp this knife was. And the knife went right through the side of this guy's neck. And all of a sudden, I heard this scream. And I looked down, the blood starts going everywhere, all over the ground. I realized, man, I'm in, I'm in deep now. And I dropped the knife. I turned around to my mate. To, he gets this meat mallet. He just throws it across the bar and smashes all this glass at the back of the bar. We just grab these couple of bottles of spirits, a carton of cigarettes and a couple of hundred bucks, jump over the bar, get outside, and we take off. And now we're on the run before long, the cops know who it is. Words got out to, and they're after us and, and eventually run out of places to hide. End up at my mum's place under my brother's bed, hiding out to, trying to get a plan. To, and my mate went another way and I'm trying to work out a plan to where I'm going to run to. I'm 16 years old, don't have any, too many contacts. And that very night, to, the cops raided my mum's place. And I remember they, they come banging on the doors about one in the morning. I jumped out from under my brother's bed, went to jump out the window. There was two cops right there outside the window uh, waiting for me to just jump right into their arms. They, they took me uh, and uh, locked me up. Uh, and so I had to go to court uh, for armed robbery uh, with violence. Uh, and uh, I went to, to, first of all, I went to the, to the children's court uh, and I was pretty familiar with the judge and she looked at me and said, I'm not having this boy in my court anymore. Send him to the district court, which was the adult court. Because I was 16, you know, they bumped me up to the adult court because of my record. And so I ended up in the adult court. And the judge at the adult court said, you know what, this kid is out of control and has been for a long time. We need to make an example of him. And at the time, there was a lot of sort of youth crime going on in Perth, Western Australia. That's where I was living at the time. And they thought they were going to make an example of me. And this became big news. They bumped me up to the Supreme Court. And so I ended up going to the Supreme Court when I was 16. I went up for sentencing for the armed robbery and the violence. And my, my mate, who was 21, he got sentenced to six years first in prison. Ended up doing the whole six years. And then the judge said, I'm going to make an example out of you. And he sentenced me to governor's pleasure, which is basically an indefinite sentence where you can only be released by the governor general of Australia is the only one that can sign your release papers and what they, they basically call a life sentence for juveniles. And so uh, I got locked up and uh, here I am, you know, now serving real time. I'd only been doing a month here and three months there, but this was like now I'd kind of hit the, the big time, went into this jail and it was like different than anything I'd ever been in before. It was a real heavy scene. I remember straight away getting in trouble, uh, getting in fights, uh, trying to you know, prove myself there. And, and I remember I got in so much trouble just in the first couple of months of being in this prison that the, the uh, head of the prison called me up to his office and he called me into his office and he sat across me across the desk from me and he said, do you really understand the sentence that you're under? You're, you've got governor's pleasure. We can keep you in here for as long as we want and you'll never get out. You better start behaving yourself and staying out of trouble. And, and you know, I'm acting all tough, but deep down I'm thinking, man, I want to be in, in prison for the rest of my life. And so, uh, you know, for, for the next uh, year and a half, I ended up spending two and a half years uh, in that prison and, and uh, the long story, but I got out on a bit of a technicality. And, and so they released me after two and a half years uh, uh, back onto a, pro uh, pro uh, a pro parole period of two years. 
and the stipulation was if I offend in those two years, I was going to go back into prison again under governor's pleasure. And the judge made it very clear that they wouldn't be so lenient to, on me next time. So here I was, I get out. And by the time I get out of prison, my mum's moved over state to I've got nowhere to go, so they put me in this halfway house with a prison guard for about three months. And then after three months, they kind of gave me a bit more release and I went to find some old mates and I did. And they'd all sort of got into the whole biker scene. So they've all bought motorbikes now and this whole bikey scene's happening in Perth. And I moved into this house. It's the only place I could go at the time. It was about 15 bikers living in there with their motorbikes, girlfriends, dogs and everything. It's a real biker's house and I'm living there. And any day I think, man, I'm going to get busted. There's so much stolen stuff and drugs and deals going on in this house and I'm on parole. But on the outside, I'm you know, acting real tough and I'm thinking, man, any day I'm going to get busted. And then I met this uh, chick. She was working in the bar. We used to go and watch these bands and, and uh, this chick, really pretty chick, was across the bar, started chatting her up. Turns out I knew her brother and we got kind of friendly and, and we ended up hooking up. And uh, I moved out as quickly as I could, moved in with this, with this girl out of this biker's house. And I'm living with this girl. She's got a son. She's a bit older than me. Got a couple of son who's a couple of years old. And so I start living with this girl and start doing drugs, dealing drugs out of her house. And uh, uh, it was, it was, this is when I really can see God starting. Well, you know, I can look back now and I can see God was involved in my life all the way through as, as we can many times looking back. But this is where I really seen the first real kind of move that God made on my life. Because it turns out this girl that I moved in with, her mum was a full-on born-again Christian used to play the piano in this in this church, and so my girlfriend said to me one night, she might, you know what, my mum's going to drop in, drop by uh, this afternoon on the on the way home from work, and I thought, oh, that's going to be a nightmare. She, the last thing she's going to going to meet is see me with her girl, and you know my head was shaved back then, big earrings, you know tats, and used to wear it singlets back in those days, and just an old pair of Doc Martens, and I was always stoned, and and uh, we lived in this little flat, and and so she came round that night, I was stoned, sitting at the table, and I'm expecting attitude, I'm expecting this woman. She's going to hate me, hooked up with her daughter. Uh, but I want to tell you, it was the, the, the furthest from that. This woman walked in from the minute she walked in the room. I knew there was something different about her. She's an older lady. Uh, she had just, uh, such a beautiful uh, sort of presence about her. I remember she sat down at the table uh, and uh, we had a cup of coffee together and she's talking to me and, and, and engaged me in conversation. And, and uh, after that night when she went home, I said to my girlfriend, wow, you know, your mum's really different. Uh, you know, she's really nice. And, and so anyway, this became a regular thing. The mum starts dropping around and then you know, we started you know, getting to know each other a bit more. And then she started sharing the gospel with me. She started telling me about Jesus. And, and at first I didn't know what she was even talking about when she was talking about Jesus because I'd never been to church in my entire life. In fact, I was saved for three months before I even knew that Christmas and Jesus were the same thing. I didn't even know. I had no idea. Uh, and so she might as well be talking about aliens, talking about Jesus. I didn't even know who Jesus was. I'd never heard of him, never heard the gospel, never been to church. And so she starts bringing around these little, little comic tracks these little books that, that uh, had the story of the gospel in there and as well as a lot of end time sort of stuff. And, and they used to hand these out in the old days and they'd have like scenarios in there about the mark of the beast and all kinds of crazy end times sort of stuff. And, and she'd leave this stuff on the table for me to read. And I remember she'd go and I'd, and I'd read through it. To, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a setup really because I got used to reading comics when I was in jail. And so I'm stoned reading through these these books about the end times and the mark of the beast and the rapture and all this kind of stuff. And I remember saying to my girlfriend, is your, is your mum okay? Is, is, what's this, all this stuff that she's into? 
And uh, my girlfriend, you know, she had, she was actually a backslider. I didn't know what a backslider was. She'd sort of grown up around church and uh, she, was, she was not living for the Lord. But, and she just kind of write it off and not really say too much. But then the setup came one night when, when the mum came around and, and she came to invite us to a movie. And I'm thinking, a movie. And so, you know, I'm stoned. I'm feeling good. It's a summer's night. I remember, you know, the doors were all open and, and uh, she drops by and says, you guys want to come to a movie? And I remember my girlfriend being in the kitchen and she's like, oh, no. You know, and I didn't know what she was. Come on, let's go to a movie. I was feeling good. I was stoned. I was feeling happy. Let's go to a movie. And, and eventually she, you know, the, the girlfriend's going, no, no, i got to put the kid to bed. And I said, I'll go. And then uh, I remember jumping in the car with this old lady in this old Datsun 180B. And it wasn't until I was halfway to the movie that I realized I'm going to a movie with this old lady. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? But I was committed now. It's too late. I'm thinking we're going to go to a movie. Then we pull up outside this church and realize, oh, no, the movie's at a church. And it was a really old church building at the time. It wasn't like the more modern churches these days. It was an old church building this church was using. And I remember I'm committed now, it's too late. So I walk in the front door of this church for the first time, first time I've ever been to church. And it was, it was buzzing in there, all the young people in there, and it was kind of happening. And, and you know, next thing you know, I'm, I'm kind of being ushered into a seat, and I'm, I'm sitting between these two ladies, and uh, they start clapping their hands and playing some music before the movie. And, and uh, it was in the days when everyone used to hold hands before you know, the service and pray together. And I remember this old lady grabbed my hand on one side, and this other old lady grabbed my hand on the other side, and, and then they start speaking in tongues. I'm like, what? what on earth's going on here? I'm starting freaking out. And, uh, but uh, I sat down, and, and, uh, but I want to tell you, the presence of God was in that place. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it was just, I just, it just felt good. It felt clean. It felt right. The movie was rubbish. And I'm saying, how can these people even watch this movie? It was so boring, this Christian movie. Christian movies in those days were, were not like they are today. It was old school. And, but I remember at the end of the movie, there must have been an altar call because that church always does altar calls. But I don't remember that. But all I remember is leaving that place and realizing, and thinking, man, that was weird, but those people were really nice. And I'd never really kind of been around people like that before. I'd never been around like a woman like this woman before. That, and, and, and I remember going home and just thinking about this, this church. And then, then my, my, my girlfriend's sister was getting married. And so it was another chance for this mum to invite me to church. And she comes around and, and uh, she says, you're going to come to the wedding. And she gives me an invitation and it's going to be a big thing. And I remember, you know, the, the day of the wedding, um, she, uh, uh, she, the, the, my girlfriend went to stay with, with her sister. She was in the wedding party and they're getting ready, at, you know, to, uh, to be bridesmaids the next day. And my mate Rooster comes over and we're just kind of getting stoned and drinking wine and fixing his bike up. And he's going to give me a ride to the church the next morning. The next morning I slept in. So at about 10.30, all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. I wake up, I go to the door and it's the old lady. She's going, you're not at church. The church wasn't that far away from where we lived. She's you've got to come to church. You promise you're going to come to the wedding. I said, I can't come to the wedding. I have these old Doc Martens on and this old jeans with battery acid holes all down the front, this old jumper. I said, look, I'm not even, I'm not even dressed for church. She said, no, just come as you are. You'll be fine. And she wasn't going to take no for an answer. So I said to Rooster, Rooster, come on, man. Come with me to this church. He's like, yeah, man, let's go. And old Rooster, he's got hair everywhere and tats all over him. He's always stoned. He's like, we jumped in this old Datsun 180B with this old lady and off we go to church. And you know, that old lady missed her own daughter's wedding vows just to get us to church. We got there, the vows had finished, the guy was preaching. 
I mean, we walked in the back door. Everyone's dressed up and we're like, and I felt so embarrassed. She walks us down with, on the second row of the church behind the wedding party. And then uh, at the end of the service, again, another altar call. I missed the whole thing. Uh, but everyone jumps up there hugging us and telling us so good to see us. And, and this, they weren't angry that the mum had missed the wedding vows. They were just so happy to see us at church. Uh, and then, you know, and from then on, I just had this, like the Holy Ghost was just working in my life and it was all starting to make sense. And I remember it really came to a, a climax. Uh, you know, I, I broke up with this girl for a couple of weeks. Where the, the relationship was all over the place. And I ended up moving back in with these bikers for a while. And I was talking about prospecting for them and becoming a biker and that whole scene. And I went on this two-week binge, just taking drugs and just, uh, just out of my mind. And then at the end of that two weeks, I was just really on this low and this, this, there was this night that there was a party and this is when God really started to move on my life in a big way and the, my girlfriend turned up to the party and we are all stoned and I remember standing up in the midst of that group of guys and for the first time my eyes were open I was stoned Pink Floyd were playing on the stereo and just this, this scene and, and I remember standing up and starting to tell people about Jesus and, and all the stuff that I've been reading in these books about the end times and and the mark of the beast and that went really quiet in that room and everyone's looking at me like, what's going on? And then Roost all of a sudden jumps up and says, hallelujah. And then they all just kind of lost it, went crazy in the room. And one guy was jumping up and down this old lounge going, hurry, hurry, and just mocking me. But the Holy Ghost fell in that room and all of a sudden it just got really tense in there. And I said to Linda, my girlfriend, I said, listen, you've got to take me around to your mum's place. I've got to talk to her about Jesus. And she's going, no, you're out of your mind. You're stoned. You're not going to, I'm not going to take you around there. I said, you better take me around to your mum's place. I'll be honest with you. I grabbed her by the, by the shirt and I threatened her. I said, you take me to your mum's house. I've got to go there tonight. I've got to talk to her. We jumped in the car, went over to a mum's place. And just as we got to a mum's place, she just finished a shift at the hospital. She was standing on the, on the veranda. We pulled into the driveway. And I remember just opening the door. And that lady was standing on the, on the veranda. I still hear her voice today. And she says, Neil, what are you doing here? And I says, Judy, I want to talk to you about Jesus. And she ran down off those stairs and put her arms around me, just started weeping, saying, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for this moment. I've been and she's weeping. I'm like, well, okay. Anyway, she took me by the hand. We went up into her into house and we knelt on the lounge room floor together, holding hands. And she led me through a sinner's prayer. And I gave my life to Jesus. I want to tell you, heaven came down in a moment. And I can't explain it except the, the fact that I got up from that prayer. And for the first time in my life, I felt excited about living. I felt like I've, I've got a purpose in life because for so long I just felt so empty, like I wasn't going anywhere. I didn't know what, what life was all about. But in a moment, it was like God was real. And, and it was like one of those moments, the grass is green, the sky is blue, everything's changed in a moment of time. And I got radically, radically saved, amen, of the power of God, amen, within three years of that experience. I mean, I was remarried. I was not remarried, married for the first time. My girlfriend and I broke up. She got saved actually and she went her way. She married a Christian guy and she's a Christian today and got her family. And I got married to someone else in the church. And after three years of being married, you know, we were out pioneering, pastoring, our, planning our first church in Sydney. That was back in, in 1987. And then from there, I went back to Scotland, my home 
nation for seven years and pastored a church in, in Glasgow. Then I got invited to come back to Australia and take a church there for five years in Newcastle. Then from there, uh, went over to South Africa, got invited to come and take a church there and, and uh, pastored that church for about five years. Uh, and then uh, about 10 years ago, came to New Zealand and uh, got invited again to come and take a church here in New Zealand. In that time, we planted about uh, 11 churches, couples in the ministry, discipled them, planted them, uh, amen, sent them out into uh, the ministry. And I want to tell you, it's been a wild ride, and I just give God all the glory. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And I don't want to tell you, I live with that to revelation every day. I look back on my life and I look where I come from and it gives me hope for anyone. Over the years, I've seen God just impact so many young lives and, and get people out of drugs, people out of abusive relationships, get them saved, married, seeing them go on in the fruitful ministry. And I believe God can do that because I know what God did in my life. He's an all-powerful God. There's nothing He can't do. And let me just throw a word out there to, to those parents. Maybe you've got sons, you've got daughters that are out there and they're going crazy right now on drugs. There is hope. This old lady, she prayed for me. She fasted for me. I found out that weeks on end she would fast and pray for me and seek God over my life. And it was because of that woman and her witnessing to me she won me to the Lord. God can save anyone. God can change anyone's life. And I'm believing God that some parents out there are getting some hope right now for your kids and what God can do in changing a life. And you know, I'm going to wrap it up tonight. I mean, there's so much, so much of my story I could, I could share with you and what God's done and where He's taken us. It's been such a wonderful journey living for God the, the last 37 nearly 40 years actually 37 years of ministry I could if you had told me you know the day I went and bowed my knee before the Lord and prayed that prayer in that lady's house that night that God would use my life the way he has and take me to the places that he's taken me to share the gospel and Nations all over the world, not just in the nations I've passed, I've preached all through Asia, the Europe, Africa. I've been able to travel and preach the gospel, see God do miracles, open blind eyes, literally raise up for lame people, the things I've seen and experienced. If you had told me, you know, Neil, you're going to preach the gospel and one day go around the world and share your message, I would never have believed you. But that is the power of the gospel uh, to take a broken life, uh, to heal it, uh, and then to use it uh, in a powerful, powerful way. I wonder if you would just do one thing for me right now. If you would just bow your head in a word of prayer. I want to I wanna pray right now. Maybe right now you're that young man. You're that young woman and you're, you're caught up in that life of just drugs and you're out of control and you're wondering, how am I going to get out of this mess? I've been there. I, I know that feeling. I know how desperate I was on the inside. I was living this lie, putting on this front and acting like I was cool and tough, but deep down broken and looking for a way out. I want to tell you, Jesus is the way out. And that's the message I want to leave with you tonight. Jesus is the answer. He really is. And if you would surrender, if you would just give up your sin, give up your rebellion, turn to Jesus. I want to tell you, you have no idea where you could be in five, ten 15 years should the Lord tarry, how God could use your life in a powerful way. That's, God's in the business of transformation, changing lives, and He can do that to, in your life tonight. And you may, 
you know, you don't have to be in church to have this experience. I got saved in a lounge room with an old lady praying a prayer. What I tell you, God came down in that lounge room in that moment, and my life was transformed in a moment's time. And I want to encourage you right now, wherever you are, you might be in a lounge room, in a bedroom, you might be, I don't know where you are, but to, you could just right now just to humble yourself before God and say, God, you know what? I want a way out. I need a way out. Jesus is the answer for you right now. I want to lead you in a, in a prayer. And if you're willing to just, just give God a chance, I want to tell you, He'll prove Himself to you beyond your imagination, the things that God could do in your life. And so if you just bow your head, pray with me right now this simple prayer and believe God with me uh, that you're going to have an experience right where you are. God's going to come down. He's going to touch you. Uh, he's going to make Himself real to you. Uh, I, I don't need to prove God to you. God's big enough to prove Himself. Uh, he's big enough to meet with you where you are right now. He's a miracle God. Father, I pray right now, uh, God, just move in these uh, different areas where people are right now, calling out to you, uh, opening their heart to you. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need a way out of my sin. God, help me tonight. God, forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. God, give me an experience to change my life. Make yourself real to me. Lord, forgive me. Come, walk with me, change me. Make me a man, make me a woman of God. And I believe Tonight, right now, if you just pray this prayer and say, Jesus, forgive me, God will forgive you. If you mean it from your heart, God will see your heart right now. It doesn't have to be a fancy prayer. It doesn't have to be a religious prayer, a simple cry to God, a cry that says, God, I need you in my life. God, forgive me. Forgive you my sins. Come into my life. God will do that right now. I, I pray tonight that uh, I've given some hope to some parents, uh, that uh, there's some people right now you're responding. God bless you tonight. Uh, just appreciate you tuning in to hear my story. God bless you.